This is a post-Christian podcast. Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. Welcome to Revolution. We're live and direct from Minneapolis, Minnesota, recorded live in front of a studio audience. Um, <laughs> tonight is uh, Maria's sex and Christianity talk here in Minneapolis, so if any Minneapolis people are watching you want to get in on that, that's tonight at 7 o'clock at the Corner Cafe in beautiful downtown Minneapolis. Sponsored by Post-Christian Podcasting. So, yeah, welcome. Um, what, are, what are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about Galatians, the last day of Galatians. Actually, we're going to do best of Galatians next week. Um, and then I have to start actually planning sermons again. That's always my favorite thing to do. Um, but yeah, it's snowing like crazy. Um, just did a AMA uh, Reddit Reddit AMA, which means ask me anything, and um, it's still up, actually. So if you're looking for a link, you can go to like Twitter or my Facebook or um, Instagram and find the link and check it out, and you can ask us anything, or you can get in on the, some of the, the arguments. Not that they're really arguments, but they're just discussions with some people who are a little bit mean. Um, but mostly it's really been cool and nice. And the funny thing is the hardest questions I've had to answer were questions about punk, about music, not punk. Like Johnny Cash, old or new. Like I was like old and then I was like, what? I really listen to more new Johnny Cash than you old. And then Social Distortion or The Clash. So I really politically answered that one with no clash, no social distortion. But I'd have to, if I was forced to say, I'd say the Clash, only because that's what Mike Ness would say. So I was became a political punk rocker with that. Yeah, so that was that's cool talking about loosen the Bible Belt tour, which is a thing I've been doing with Kristen Becker and other comedians and musicians for um, four or five years now. We do a podcast that post Christian podcasting actually does too. Their hands are in everything. It's a multi million dollar corporation. Um, so yeah, we, uh, been doing a podcast that's been really cool. And so we did this AMA where we're just asking questions about the tour and the show. And then of course people have questions about theology and comedy and stuff like that. And that's really cool to be a part of. I thought it only was a few hours, but it seems to be still live and direct. And so as many people as we can get on there to ask questions, let's do it. And, and some revolution questions, some people asking about revolution and what we're doing, and that was pretty cool. Thanks, Caleb. No, I'm just kidding. Um, it wasn't Caleb asking the question. So anyway, we're in Galatians, so let's get into Galatians. I just wanted to do an open monologue, opening monologue. Diet Coke, just for the taste of it. Um, so last week we ended with talking about the fruits of the Spirit, in which I talked to folks about saying that that was one of the things that, one of the verses that used to really trouble me because it said things like uh, people who quarrel and have dissension and factions and envy and drunkenness uh, and carousing. And I'm a bit of a carouser. Corraler, carouser, um would not inherit the kingdom of God. And I thought, oh, I'm definitely going to hell. Um, but then realized that 
Paul was actually talking about the fruits of the Spirit, saying when you have the certain things in your life, you miss out on peace and patience and kindness and joyfulness and things like that. And Paul was pretty smart, and I think when he says drunkenness, I think he really meant like uh, self-medicating, you know, when you, when you, when you uh, aren't able to live life on life's terms. Um, but yeah, so um, we talked about that not being the idea of heaven, you know, and he ends on 26, he says, let us not become conceited or competing against one another or envying one another. And I love that. I love the things that Paul lays down. Even to jump back earlier on in in five, where he says, if however you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. And I honestly think that's probably the verse for right now in our time, as far as you know, in the church with politics and things like that, is that we are always biting and devouring one another, writing each other off. Um, I had a conversation on our AMA Reddit yesterday about that, you know, and uh, had somebody with some really pretty clear black and white ish views of it who pushed back on me. But I always appreciate being pushed back on, you know, because I said, you know, we shouldn't scapegoat each other, you know, and... uh he, he disagreed, but that was okay. It was good. It's good to have those conversations. It helps me grow, become a better person. Um, so, yeah, so I, I, Paul is really laying it down here. Paul is really, I mean, this, like I always say, this letter is super complex on the fact that it's like, it's one of the best things in the Bible on the concept of grace. It's also a letter of rebuke. And it's also a letter of defense. It's, so it's like Paul defending himself, Paul rebuking a group of people, Paul talking about grace, you know, in one minute talking about grace, and the next minute telling him that his wishes enemies would castrate themselves. Um, so you see this contradiction that Paul carries with him as well. Um, but you also see the humanity of, of Paul, um, which is, is pretty amazing. And I really believe Paul would probably be considered a proper philosopher because he seems to be extremely in touch with philosophy. Um, and there's even been, like, uh, psychiatrists who've said that Paul had some, some insight on, on psychiatry before that was even a thing. Um, so that's pretty cool. Um, you know, and, and a side note, too, is, is um, the other day I was online and uh, on Facebook, actually, and someone who follows me, they were making fun of uh, the uh, Pete, the guy who's running for president, because he's gay, you know, and how he would call it the first gentleman would be his partner. And I was just, it was really sad to me that there's still Christians out there who just go and make fun of people. Like, even if you disagree and you think it's a sin, which I don't, but even if you do, to, to do that just seems kind of low, you know? And so I actually, I don't usually try to go in and argue too much, but I went in a little bit and was just like, you know, it's kind of a sixth grade understanding of the Bible if you think it's talking about LGBTQ people, because it really isn't. That wasn't even a concept uh, at the time which I know is really hard for people to wrap their brain around. Um, but, you know, sexuality was a concept that came around a lot, lot later, and it has more to do with 
other things. Um, but that's not the sermon today. But just the fact that people are still biting and devouring each other, just to bring it back to Paul, over this type of thing, and that we're still alienating people and making fun of people. Like if something's, you know, oh, the Bible says it's bad, so we'll just make fun of you. I'm like, does that really heal or help anybody? You know, are you going to make fun of somebody if they're an alcoholic or a drug addict or something like that? And not to say those things are the same, but I'm just saying, you know, or gossip, you know. I mean, unfortunately we do, you know, and it just doesn't seem, it doesn't seem Christ-like at all. Uh, it doesn't seem Paulinian at all. Um, so, you know, it's just sad to me that people still use the Bible as an excuse to discriminate. And, you know, one of the things I said to this person was, I'm like, you know, you can use the Bible as an excuse to discriminate, but it's still just discrimination, no matter what your excuse is. You know, people use the Bible to support slavery, you know, it was still horrible injustice, you know. Anyway. <clears throat> you know, we've got a, I don't know. If we stop biting and devouring one another and learn to kind of look at ourselves and take our own responsibility and, and see what we play in, in uh, see, see the parts that we play in things, we grow as human beings. And, man, I love having good discussions. I just hate that we're still at a point where we're, we, we're so fearful of one another that we have to tear each other down. Um, Maybe we should learn to do that more in, in person. So six is a bit short. So let's, let's, uh, let's look at six, Galatians 6. My dear friends, if anyone is dedicated, detected, I'm sorry, if anyone is de- de- detected in a transgression, You who have received the Spirit should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness and take care that you yourself are not tempted. Now, this is what's great about this is because Paul's talking about restoration, about about helping someone back who's who's, who's fallen off the path, you know, or or, or has gone, gone off the path. But then he says, be careful not to fall into the same temptation that they're in. And so I've always been like, you know, okay, what does this mean? You know, going through, like taking it through like an Assemblies of God mind as a kid, you know, like, um, well, this means, you know, that I shouldn't go to see a dirty movie with them. You know, just something ridiculous like that, you know. Or don't listen to secular music, (laughs) you know, whatever dumb stuff that we grew up with. Um, Oh, I'm so glad not to be in that part of my life anymore. Um, but what he's talking about here is he's saying we should restore these people who have fallen into legalism. You know, these people who have decided to try to force you to go back into Judaism and be circumcised and obey certain holidays and, you know, mix Christianity with Judaism, which at the time that was acceptable. Um, but he's saying, you know, be careful not to fall back into legalism. It's really, really easy to do because legalism in a lot of ways makes sense because it's like you have a list of rules of do's and don'ts 
And some people think, like, the Bible is my rule book, you know, or it's my answer book. And I had somebody say that to me yesterday, you know, it's an answer book. And, and, and one of the best explanations I heard is about the Bible once is someone was talking about, like, a, a math book. And they're like, is a math book important because it has the odd or even answers in the back? Is that what's important about it? And it's like, no, what's important is, is that it challenges you to work out the problems, you know. You have to work them out on your own. And so it's not the answers that make it valuable. It's that you learn how to work things out. And so that's kind of how the Bible works. I think that was Brian McLaren who wrote about that. Um, Dear friend of mine. He's an amazing guy. Um, So, but we're called to restore each other. You know, we're not called to write each other off. We're not called to cancel each other. We're not called to cancel culture. We're not called to be so woke that if you're not on the same page with us that we write you off. No, we're called to restore each other and to help each other back on the path. So if someone comes along and says, I've changed, I'm different, you know, we're called to be like, hey, let's help them. You know, um, if someone's struggling with legalism and being judgmental, we're called to try to reach out and maybe have a conversation with them. That's why I think conversations are so important, you know, is that we try to work out you know, work work out the issues that we're going through, like uh, why I don't write my dad off and why me and dad, my dad have these really tough conversations is the hope that we grow and that we change. And, you know, the ultimate goal is restoration, restoration of our relationship, restoration of friendship, maybe even hope that, you know, he'll see where I'm coming from, you know. And God forbid, maybe I learn something, you know, and see where he's coming from, and have a better understanding of what humans are thinking. You know, some of the best conversations I've had that have really transformed me has been conversations these past few months with Republicans, and them telling me why they voted for Trump, and what they think of Trump. And um, I haven't met any of Republicans, including my father, who are 100% in on that guy, you know? Um which is really interesting. And it's so funny because you start to have these conversations and everybody gets tense. Um, But I think once they realize that I'm not in there to write them off or to make them seem like idiots, what I'm there is trying to learn is why do you believe this way? You know, and from, and, and, and I had a conversation the other night and I was like, you know, this isn't a not, what's Let me tell you what a non-negotiator is for me. And I was talking about the kids in cages you know, and I said, I just don't, like, I just have a really hard time with that, and I don't see how anybody can support that type of thing. That's a really big non-negotiator for me. Um, you know, but they also, you know, explained to me that how they felt that, you know, Obama's drone strikes were a non-negotiator for them, and Obama didn't, you know, also treat people at the border very well. You know, so we had these kind of conversations, you know, and then their worries about why Hillary, what they thought Hillary would do, and that they felt like Hillary was in the pocket of big business, you know. And, um, yeah, so, and, and like, Pastor Lawrence Richardson was pointing out, he's like, you know, he's like, Jay, you know, there's a lot of poor white people who felt like they weren't being heard, and they felt marginalized, and they thought that maybe Trump would be their voice, you know, I mean, that seems strange to a lot of us, but there are people who felt that way. Um, and so learning to try to understand where other people are coming from rather than just writing them off, you know, and having really tough conversations about it and then being like, okay, let's just have a drink. Let's go to a movie. 
let's have dinner. We, you know, have the talk, have the conversation, and recognize each other's humanity. It's really tough, you know. But everything I keep reading in this Bible, there is not a place that really says, you know, write people off. I mean, I guess you could say the knock the dust from your shoes. And I do believe there's relationships sometimes where you have to knock the dust off your shoes and kind of move on um, because it's unhealthy and unproductive for both people. Um, you know, but I still think that you can still love someone from afar as well. So I think grace is a pretty amazing thing and pretty complicated thing. Um, and it's funny because there's a part of me that's like, oh, people are just idiots, you know, and then you go like, wait a second, you know, it's not necessarily the case. When you sit down with people, you realize like, like, oh, they have reasons and they have their own life experiences and things that they've lived through and why they are come to the conclusions that they're at, you know. So <laughs> understanding others is, is pretty amazing and restoring other people is pretty amazing. You know, for me, this verse on restoration, I used to really always think about my own parents and, and, and always feel like, you know, where, where was the restoration for them? You know, where, where, why weren't they restored, you know? Why didn't somebody gently, humbly help restore them? Especially, like, for me, it was like the mainline denominations. I was like, why didn't you guys just step in, man? That would have been the perfect timing to come in and say, we're going to help these evangelicals. You know, maybe even help change their theology a little bit, you know, and they didn't do it, you know, and, and I was mad at the church. And what I realized is, though, even the conservatives eventually did bring my dad back in. Am I thrilled about that? No. But the fact is, is they did a better job at restoring, even though it was on their own terms, than a lot of other church people. You know, so we have opportunities to restore people and reach out to people and help people we just have to be aware of when those opportunities arise, you know, and, um, and, and not underestimate the power of love and relationship and caring for someone who's lost everything or, you know, been made an outcast because of what they believe or are an enemy. You know, Martin Luther King Jr. said the only force capable of turning an enemy into a friend is love, you know. And I think love and grace are, are related. And I do think that that's possible. Now, there are people that I've showed a lot of love and grace for in relationships and, and just realized that <clears throat> it's not going to go anywhere, at least not now. Um, but I think about the talk, talk about planting seeds, you know. And in my own experience, I've had people who've, you know, stood up and yelled at me in my middle of my talks you know, and told me I was a heretic and that I was leading people to hell and all this stuff and then run away, you know. And then six months later, send me an email saying like, hey, you know, I was that guy who yelled at you. And I'm like, oh, no. But I've changed a lot and I've thought things through and I just want to apologize. You know, so you just never know what's going to happen. You never know what a little bit of what, you know, how your reaction or, or treating someone can happen for them in the future, and so it's often an investment that we don't see. And so restoration can be that way. You know, uh, how, you know, how beautiful are the feet that bring the good news? You know, I was hungry and you fed me. I was, you know, you know, those type of things. I think, you know, seeds grow. So sometimes you just have to plant a seed and go away. And there may be a tree there. You know, I've never planted anything that grew 
I think maybe something like a potato when I was in kindergarten. I grew some weird things off of a potato. But, um, <laughs> but you see the idea there is that you just never know. And so that's why I think it's important to choose love and embrace the idea that we're all full of contradictions and you never know what's going to happen in someone's life. So take those moments, those small, still moments to do that. Um, here's a challenge. What if next time you see a big evangelical or a big preacher have a big fall and you just send a nice tweet? Thinking about you, love you, I'll DM you my phone number. Because, of course, they're probably not going to call you, but just imagine what, what they did, you know? I remember there was this one huge pastor in Colorado, and he, he found out he was gay, and he was super anti-gay, and he lost his whole church, and the church was like, we want you to leave the state. If you don't leave the state, we're not going to give you your severance pay and all this stuff. And uh, him and his family were actually living out of a U-Haul. They went from living in a mansion to living out of a U-Haul. You know? And imagine the effect that we could have had on somebody like that if we were like, hey, I maybe can help you out with an apartment or a place to live. You know? And then you go, why is this person showing me such love? Why is this person showing me such grace? I mean, really, it was my buddy who, back when I was in my 20s, who really showed me a lot of love and grace that restored me to the point of finding the message of love and grace. You know, it showed me and encouraged me to want to accept myself as who I was, you know. And so it was restoration, you know. I had quit the ministry. I went and got a job at The Gap, and I was done. And I felt guilty all the time, and I felt like God hated me. And he just looked at me one day, and he was a pastor, and he goes, man, you're just making Christ's death in vain. And I'm like, what do you mean making Christ's death in vain? He's like, because you're trying to earn your salvation constantly, and you think God hates you because all the bad things you do. And you think somehow you can change that. And he's like, you can't change that. And I was like, whatever helps you sleep at night, dude. I mean, that's honestly, I was like, whatever. And then I just I was so sick and miserable. I was like, went to him because we were, ended up becoming roommates. And I was like, prove to me this. You know, prove me what you're saying is right then. Where is it in the Bible that says that? And he's like, read Galatians. And he's like, read Corinthians. Read Romans. And then all of a sudden I was like, I want to be a pastor again. I did not see this stuff. You know, I got all my information secondhand. And it changed my life. And so that's the type of thing when he, that, rest, that, that can happen in restoration, you know. So grace is really, really a slippery slope, thank goodness. That we can all just, once I found out it, I slipped on down and uh, continue to slip on down that slope. <laughs> You know, I used to be that type of Christian, like, well, let's raise the standard, you know, and then all of a sudden my message went from, let's raise the bar to, hey, we need to lower the bar for everybody. Let's just take the damn bar down. And I think that's what Paul is saying here. Um, Goes on to say, bear one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. For those who are nothing think they are something, they deceive themselves. So when we think we're too important to restore someone, when we think we're too important to help someone, or we think we're too woke to help someone and they can't be in our group, which Paul earlier said, avoid factions or you'll miss out on the fruits of the Spirit. So if we think our faction is right and has everything together that we're too good to help someone in need or too good to talk to someone that we disagree with, you know, we're just fooling ourselves. We're really nobodies as well, you know. I mean, the thing is, is that most of us who are on the left-leaning think we want, you know, we say we want equality for all people. 
You know, we want to love all people. You know, everybody deserves to be heard, you know. Everybody deserves to be heard except for those people who disagree with us and don't think we need to be heard. You know, but how can we change that person? How can we influence that person to maybe think differently and grow? Well, we do that through love and restoration. We do that through not thinking that we're better than them. You know, um, I feel like a lot of times, like, like social media bait is basically pointing out, like, look at how my belief system is really good and how this person's belief system is really bad. You know, not, hey, this is how we can change this. You know, I, um, Senator John Lewis was talking about loving your enemies at the prayer breakfast. And he prayed this prayer at the prayer breakfast that Trump was at. And people were just like, you know, ah, you know, even... Even Trump, I think, got up and was like, I'm trying. I don't know how to do it, but I'm trying, you know, which I thought was interesting. Um, who knows? But, uh, but uh, you know, and people often think that that's pie-in-the-sky stuff, you know, of loving your enemies. But with John Lewis, I mean, he was serious. I mean, he marched in Birmingham. He was beaten. And, I mean, I, you can go on Google and Google him. And you'll see things where he's a younger man and he's covered in blood. And he said, I never once hated those people who beat me. You know, I loved them. You know, so he's not just asking some pie in the sky thing. And it's so funny because I posted that and one person was like, well, it's got a lot harder these days. And I'm like, how is it a lot harder? I didn't say this, but I was just thinking like, how has it gotten a lot harder when we're not physically being beaten with bats on the top of our heads? Like the majority of us aren't, you know. So someone who's been through that and asks us to do that is, is inviting us to share into an experience, you know, where we find that the other is so important that it's worth being hurt and beat and putting ourselves within physical harm in order that they might become what they should be because they literally believe that I can't be who I am unless you are who you are, become who you need to be, you know. And seeing people as as victims of misinformation rather than enemies, or the information as the enemy rather than the person, and that's a bold thing, you know. But that's the pushback I get a lot: is like, well, what about people who hurt me, or what about toxic people? And I don't want to be around toxic people. And I get that, and I understand that, and I think for a lot of us mentally, we need to be, you know, have those things. But there's a time where if we want to see change happen. We have to restore toxic people. We have to help them. Um, and, and Senator John Lewis went to the point of being beat, just like Martin Luther King did and all these other great civil rights leaders, where they were not safe, but they wanted to see a change happen. And has that change happened perfectly? Nope. But some people have been changed, and I know it drives me to do those things. You know, and it drives me to have hope and restoration for all people. If I didn't believe that, I wouldn't be up here. If I didn't think we could change things and I was just talking to the choir all the time, I wouldn't do it. You know? And so what I hope I'm doing is also challenging all my progressive friends to think in a similar way. So we change things. Let's make a change. Um... And, and, and this is a funny thing because this is kind of Paul twists it here again because he just says here, bear one another burdens 
and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. So he's saying help each other with your burdens, with your problems. Restore each other. Help each other. Um, even when, you know, make sure you don't fall into the legalism, but help them uh, get out of it. And then he says, for those who are nothing think they are something, they deceive themselves. And then it says, all must test their own work. Then that work, rather than their neighbor's work, will become a cause for pride. You know, so be, be prideful of your own work, not testing against other people, because a lot of time is like people's work is like, well, I'm not like them. You know, I don't think like they do. So I'm doing pretty good, you know. I'm a lifelong Democrat, so I'm pretty good. You know, it's like... But, you know, it's saying don't, don't compare your work to other people. And that's just good in life. Like if I compared all my work to, like, Rob Bell... I would just want to quit. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know how the guy does it. He gets to write really short books, but they're always really good. And then he holds up little cardboard things and is like, I'm going to be in Iowa. And then everybody shows up in Iowa, you know. <laughs> I'd have to send out like five million texts to say I'm going to be in Iowa and get five people to show up. So if I did that comparison, I would be very unhappy and I would lose my peace. I would lose serenity. And so I don't compare myself even to the good people. And I try not to compare myself to the bad people either. Um, I, I did that a long time. You know, I always thought like, oh, if I just had this person's ministry or if I could just write a book like this person, or if I could just do that. But then I found like there's something special about me being who I am, being a high school dropout with dyslexia, you know, and self-taught. Um, yeah, I mean, it's been, it's been tough to do all that stuff, but I have a different way of thinking, you know, like some of my theology comes from, more from hip hop and punk rock than it does theology books, you know? Like the Stiff Little Fingers album, Inflammable Materials, has really blown my mind as far as politics and theology. You know? Just some lads in in Belfast who decided to speak their truth through punk rock music, you know? And they would probably think that was kind of funny if they heard me say that, you know? But it's true, you know? It's like, these things also affect me, and, and that makes me who I am, and I'm grateful for that, you know? So I can sit next to someone like Pete Rollins who has, you know, and speak with him who has a degree in, who's a doctor in philosophy, you know? Or Barry, who I think is, maybe has a doctorate in philosophy or at least in theology, you know, and sit with two of my close mates and not feel like, oh, I wish I was them, but also realize I can add something to the conversation that they might not be able to, you know, and, and, and keep it simple. I have to simplify a lot of things and a lot of ideas, you know, but I know there's certain people who are able to connect with that, and I'm grateful for that, you know, and I hope you will be grateful for what you have. Um... And that book Rob Bell wrote on the Bible, what the Bible is, I wish I could give that to every evangelical Christian in the world because it really is good. And I wish they knew what the Bible was. <laughs> I just get annoyed when they're like, it's a book, this book. That... And I'm like, oh, it's a collection of writings, please. <laughs> you know, semantics make me crazy. Um, 
rather than your neighbor's work, then become a cause for pride. Now, this is interesting because he goes, for all must carry their own loads. Now, he just went and said, carry each other's burdens. But then he's like, now we all must carry our own loads. Um, that we have to carry our own troubles, our own issues. So he's basically saying, like, you should help carry one another's burdens. Um, but don't expect other people to carry your burdens. You know? It's like, so don't expect the best out of everybody because that's also a trap. So you're going to have to carry your own burden and you might have to take a soldier's pack too and walk the extra mile and carry their burden as well. Um, Don't expect them to be like, let me grab those for you and put them on. Um, So it's a very realistic realist way of seeing things is saying, yeah, you're going to have to carry your own burden. You know, hopefully someone will read this and help you carry your burden. And, you know, it's true. A lot of people are so busy with their own lives and everything that's going on is it's, you know, they don't have time to care. I don't think they do it because they're mean or they're bad people. I have a lot of good friends who did not come around when my life was falling apart and they knew my life was falling apart. But I know they also had their own lives and their kids or whatever going on in their own life, and they just didn't have time, you know? So there were some times where I had to carry my own burden. But then there was other times where, you know, people like Caleb was like, no, 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 man, I've got it. I've got this. You don't worry. You know, there was times where I would come in so depressed and so sad last year, and Caleb would just cry with me. And he was sharing my burden because he knew I was broken he didn't know all the details. I mean, he knew what I was going through, but he just sat and cried because he could see the brokenness inside me. And so identifying that, he picked up my burden. And sometimes that's all we have to do is just listen and hear or give a hug or cry with someone or take a damn phone call, you know, or, you know, not give up on a person because they're, you know, for me, one of my things, one of the battles, I was just like a broken record. I was just like, my divorce, my divorce, my divorce, my divorce. You know, I mean, to the point where it was like, everybody's like, yeah, we get it. <laughs> you know, but there was a few people who just listened and stayed my friends. I mean, I remember going through my texts to my buddy Pete and going like, why is he still my friend? You know, like, I was just like, I think I sent him like pretty much the same text for like six months. You know? And... um and Pete Rollins, you know, he's a funny guy, but he's also a tough guy from Belfast, so sometimes, you know, I think he thinks like, uh, you know, I don't know if I really care, you know. It's like, no, he really does care. He can't help it. It's like, it's in the Rollins' blood. I, I know the whole Rollins family, mostly. I mean, I know a lot of the Rollinses, and it's just in their blood to love other people, you know, which is fun. I think it's all in everybody's blood in Belfast. You know, it's funny that they killed each other because I think... There's also this incredible just like compassion and love that they all carry within. Maybe it's their unconscious, but I see it everywhere I go, and that's why I love that city, you know. Um, and it often takes people going through hell and going through making mistakes and tearing other people's lives apart and tearing their own lives apart to realize and to carry that, you know, that we have to carry each other's burdens, you know. And sometimes tough love is like, you know, just carry your burden and I'll walk by you. You know, I don't know. Anyway. Um, and seven, it says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For you reap whatever you sow. If you sow to your own flesh, 
you will reap the corruption from the flesh. But if you sow in the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So let us not grow weary of doing what is right, for we will reap the harvest in time. Now see, that's, and again, the harvest, the idea of saying, we'll reap it in time. Don't get weary of doing what's right. So Paul is literally right here saying, don't, you know, you're going to love these people, and it's going to be like a harvest. It's going to take time before you could even see that harvest. And you know what? Someone else might do the harvesting. Paul says that somewhere else. You know, you might not do that. You might just be the one who plants a seed. You know, and all I always thought was like, oh, so I just tell somebody about Jesus slowly, and then one day they'll get saved. You know, that's what I thought it was all about. Like, I'm planting the salvation seed so they don't go to hell. You know, I don't think that way anymore. Now I'm going like, I'm planting a compassion seed or a hope seed or a love seed, or maybe when the shit hits the fan, they'll call me, you know. Um, I, I, you know, that, that's one of my friends, my friend Lawrence Richardson, who's a pastor here in town, who's just an amazing man. He's just been through hell and back in his life and has every reason to really do like a, a identity politics, if anybody did. And, and he never does it. He just sits down and we just share pain. Like we just become brothers through pain of sharing our pain and our hurt. And there's just an empathy there that just blows me away. I honestly think he's a prophet, like MLK was a prophet. Um, really amazing human being. Anyway, hopefully we can get Lawrence back here at the uh, Barstool pulpit one of these days. The bowling alley pulpit, whatever you want to call it. The, the bowling alley music stand. Um, so then, whenever we have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all, and especially those of the family of faith. So Paul goes on and says, we're supposed to work for the good for all, Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female, doesn't matter, we work for the good of all. But he's also saying, especially our church. Now, why would he say especially his church? Because then it's like, are you playing favoritism to the Christian, the Christians? No, I, see, I think what he's saying is that if Christians have these tools we are given, like this idea, the concept of Christians, the, uh, the concept or the, the theology of grace uh, that comes out of Christianity, I think he's saying we have this, and so we should help each other uh, fine-tune it um, and harvest it and grow it so we can help other people because we'll be better to helping all people if we work with each other to understand this. So that's why we have churches and so we can get to each other in the churches and encourage one another within the church to grow in grace, to grow in love, to see this forgiveness, to see this idea of helping other people carry their burdens. So then we go outside to the real community um, we can help carry each other's burdens. And this is me trying to take a step back and have somewhat of a radical reading of Galatians. But I do think I'm actually kind of taking it for face value too. But I think it's really good to look at it this way. And so, the, so why is it especially for those who are in the family of faith? Is, you know, but he said, let us work for the good and the good of all. So I think that's what a lot of us are trying to do is work for the good of all. But Instead of that, and you're biting and devouring one another, be careful that you're not consumed or destroyed by one another. So let's think about that just for a second. So if we're working for the good of all, all means also those who are enemies, those who we disagree with. Um, For me, you know, like Trump, you know, like um, I think he's the, I honestly think he's a huge problem and a danger, but I don't think all the followers are, and I think all of his supporters are, and I think by writing off the supporters and not saying I could help them, I don't know how I could help Trump. I don't think he's going to have lunch with me anytime soon. Um, but, uh, 
but I know that my friends who are who are conservatives, I know that we can sit down and I can help carry their burden and talk to them and have things like that. And I just don't want to influence people's politics, you know, because sometimes these my friends who are conservatives would give me anything. They would give me their car. They would give me the clothes off their back to love me, to take care of me. They would watch my kids. They would take my kids if I needed them to. If I die, they would care for my kids, you know. So um, there's always interesting facets to all human beings. That's the interesting thing about being humans. And so we were to work for all people, not just the people that we agree with, not just the people who are progressives or woke or liberal, you know, or that, you know, or just the conservatives shouldn't be just working for the good of the conservatives or, you know, um, LGBTQ community shouldn't just be working for the good of that community. Yes, that needs to be the point of the community uh, to help find liberation and equality and do things like that. But ultimately, their relationships with people outside of that community is what changes people, changes churches, changes politics. And that's what Paul's talking about here. And saying, yes, especially focus on your community, but don't forget that we're called to all people to change all people, to be there for all people, to be that example. Martin Luther King got it. Gandhi got it. Um, a lot of different people have gotten over the time. Okay, there you go. Here we go. Paul decides to write in his own handwriting. See what large letters I make when I'm writing in my own hand. It is those who want to mark to make a good showing in the flesh that try to compel you to be circumcised, only that they may, be, may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. So he's saying these who want to make you follow certain rules and issues are doing it because they want to be safe. They don't want to be persecuted for preaching too much grace or forgiveness. Um, they want to see like they have it together and are telling and encouraging other people to have it together. They want to, you know, they don't want to be persecuted the way Paul has just laid out, the way Paul's being persecuted and why the whole reason he has to write this letter is because he's being persecuted for his message of grace. And so that's why he's defending himself like he's in court. That's why he's rebuking people. And also that's why he's talking about grace. Um, He wasn't being celebrated. You know, everybody was saying, oh, he's just telling people what they want to hear. You know, he's just whispering sweet nothings in their ear, you know. And, um... And, and Paul's saying, no, you know, honestly, I'm getting people in trouble because I'm talking about grace. And if you understand grace, grace is truly an anarchist concept. It is truly anarchy because it accepts everyone and loves everyone. And um, grace is, I don't believe, is a cheap, I don't believe cheap grace exists. I believe um, grace is free. Um, I think it's another type, I think it's false grace when it becomes what people call cheap grace. Um, but grace is free, and it's for everyone, and that really doesn't make anybody happy. And so that's why it's kind of see, I see it as a form of anarchy is because it just doesn't, doesn't play into any of our hopes or wants and needs. Um, so they want you to be circumcised so that they may boast about your flesh. May I never boast of anything except of what the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has done and crucified to me, and I in the world. So he's saying, I don't want to. I don't want to 
brag about anything except what's been done, about forgiveness, about grace. Um, for, ne- for neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything. So I'm saying, like, this, these aren't, this isn't important. There's certain things that everybody's putting extreme value on that really aren't important. But being a new creation in everything, as for those who will follow, <clears throat> follow mercy and upon Israel of God. So he's saying, like, being new in the idea of saying, I'm going to carry other people's burdens, I'm not going to see uh, status as far as male, female, Jew, Gentile, slave, nor free, you know, uh, I'm not going to do that anymore. That's what's important, loving people, loving my enemy, being that person who realizes that, yeah, I have to carry my own burden, and that's tough, but I'll help carry somebody else's burden too. That's the change he's talking about. He's like, this is the change that's important. You know, so us having this shift of uh, being more concerned with the others, being more concerned with the poor, being more concerned with our enemies, um, he's like, this is the shift that's important, you know, not, not, you know, maybe, I don't know, not all these works, not all these regulations, not all this tradition, um, not all this religion. That's not what's important. What's important is being a person who understands mercy and love um, and, and grace. And those are all very um, complicated ideas and concepts so people just want to be like, oh, grace, fuzzy-wuzzy, love, oh, fuzzy-wuzzy, you know, all that stuff. It's not. These are really tough, hard-working concepts to work out and to figure out and can be very lonely for us to have and to work on and to deal with. So there's nothing, there's nothing um, you know, it, it, there's nothing easy about it. I, I don't want to sell that. Like, this is just the easy way. It's not. You know, it's not like going to build some utopian society. You know, we have to have these things because humanity, the nature of humanity is we all even have our own contradictions and we have to learn to love and show grace to ourselves, which might be the hardest battle for a lot of you. From now on, let no one make trouble for me. <laughs> okay, Paul. <laughs> that's going to that's gonna be my new thing. From now on, let no one make trouble for me. Tweet. I'm going to tweet that tomorrow. Um... For I carry the marks of Jesus branded on my body. So he's saying, like, if you look at me, I'm probably not the best-looking person because I've been beat up a few times. He also carries the marks of what he did in the name of God, basically having Christians killed and standing there when Stephen was stoned, holding everyone's coats, being like, yeah, this is a good idea. Let's destroy and kill Christians. Paul was a son of a gun. Um, And then he just ends with, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, spirits, brothers, and sisters. Amen. We did it. Galatians is done. Um, what a cool letter. We're going to go through some of the highlights next week, but that'll be the end of the whole Galatians study. Um, but we'll just cover a few things. So um, this is the part of the service where we, we call Afterglow. And um, where we just get feedback, where you guys can push back, or you can agree with me, um, <laughs> or have a whole another concept or idea, but we just spend a few minutes kind of 
giving feedback because it's not the Jay Baker show, even though it's just my face on the screen for the Facebook people, but it's all of us kind of working this stuff out together. So we've got the mic, Phil Donahue style. Yep, we've got the mic. All right, Caleb's got the microphone. Do we have any people? Do you want me to start with to start with the uh, Instagram or the Facebook? Yeah, comments I mean, it seems like there's been a lot of quite a few, lots of good stuff, a lot of good stuff going on there, and I like that they talk to each other as well. Yeah, something we could learn here in the real congregation. So let me just make sure that I can uh, pull these up. Well, while you're pulling those up, I'll say last week we had donuts and they were very good. Oh, they were excellent. Oh my gosh, I ate that uh, that fruity pebble donut. You know, I've had a few glam doll donuts where I was like, ah, that was not an ah, that was like, yes. Yeah, my son ate his, and then Minnie ate hers with the pink sprinkles, and we went and played in the snow at the park. It was really fun. Sugared up kids and the park. So that was my, my monologue to, so we can get to the questions. You keep chatting. Or do either of you all have anything? Well, I have a question. Well, I look up the Instagram. I got a question, too. How do you, someone just asked, how do you donate? Um, you go to revolutionchurch.com. Slash donate. Slash donate. Um, I think we have a donate donation button also on the Facebook page. Last time I checked. So thank you for that. We that really helps keep us going. We uh, could not do it without the support of others. Absolutely. Okay, I, I think I figured it out here. Sean and Greg, Greg, who is my dad, we're going back and forth <laughs> on some pretty cool stuff. Okay, so uh, Sean said, "Knock the dust from your shoes." Helpful direction to look for working out this whole love them from afar thing. Thanks for that little nuggie. And I think that's, that's really cool because Sean talks a lot about, you know, having been hurt by the um, very intensely fundamentalist religious organization that he used to be involved in and, um, and the balance between distancing yourself, setting boundaries, you know, and um, and also put, uh, potentially kind of our our call to arms to get back in there and try to change things from the inside out, like like uh, Jack Caputo says, you know, turn it on the walls, of the church from the inside. But um, but yeah, I thought that was that was a cool comment. Um, him just kind of saying. There's working through, I guess, um, working through intellectually how to best approach that and emotionally. Um, and then also, uh, my dad responded, yes, Sean, like Christ washing the feet of the man who betrayed him, which I thought that was a pretty good one. Um, and then my dad said, great. I'm just going to call him Greg. Um, I am a contradiction myself. I love the point. To hate myself does not mean God hates me. And wow, everyone needs to be heard if they think like me. Which is kind of fine. Everyone needs, everyone needs to be heard if they think like me. Yeah. I think it's kind of the tone of that. But I think that that is just a really powerful thing we need to be reminded of is the first point that he made. I'm a contradiction. To hate myself does not mean God hates me. Yeah. And I know something that we talk about a lot is is having grown up in an environment that reinforced the idea that God hates me. And I know that that's why I was in a very, very uh, destructive cycle of self-harm growing up, you know, uh, mentally and physically, 
and um, had suicide ideation and things like that. I was just thinking that the the ultimate source of creation and love and um, uh, that the father in the abstract, the father which represents the creator and the and the and the and the source of uh, sustenance. That that being that that entity hated me um, was very toxic. Obviously, I'm glad to still be alive. Uh, I'll just read a couple more real quick, and then if anyone else has anything else, our friend Cheryl um, said, "Restoration is a beautiful thing, man. It's amazingly complicated." Um, and then we have a lot of compliments for Jay down here. Well, you don't have to read those. Ah, uh, well. There's a lot of people saying that you're a super preacher and that you you are amazing and even equating you with the people that you quote all the time, like MLK and, and people like that. Mm. And, um, and uh, <laughs> Thank you. Jay loves compliments. Yeah. Never makes him uncomfortable. <laughs> but no, I think, you know, you're very, I tell you this all the time, well, as much as you let me before I can see that you're, you're sweating and, and need me to stop... <laughs> giving you, uh, you know, compliments and stuff like that. But but you're a very, very important person, Jay, and, and a lot of people see that, and I think it's important for you to be reminded that every once in a while. Thanks, mate. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, thank you for what you do. I, Frankie wanted to come, like, a year ago, and because of my Assemblies of God raising... <laughs> I was like, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. And... Uh, yeah, I'm glad he talked me into it. I'm glad we have come because I think you are important and your message is important. And it's important for people like us that, you know, carry those scars and thought that way for a long time. So, oh, Thank you. Well, I mean, yeah, I carry those scars too. I think that's why we're, we're good at being a congregation. You're not alone. Keep doing what you're doing. Oh, thanks. I'm going to try. <laughs> All right. So what you were just talking about today, um, what are your thoughts on the whole Rush Limbaugh thing that came out? Because I think that's a really good example of everything you were just saying. Oh, that was a tough one. Yeah, it's a really tough one. Yeah, that's a tough one, the Rush Limbaugh thing. Um, um, I, I, I found it tough when people were celebrating his cancer. I thought that was like... I just I don't have that in me, especially since my mom died from cancer. Um, I know the guy's a bit of a jerk, and it's, 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 we have we have a young one in the room, so I'll say a jerk. Um, but yeah, he, he, I don't think he should have won the Medal of Honor. I think that was shows us kind of the state of where things are at right now, given the things that he said. Um, but do I believe he's worthy of, do I think he's a child of God or whatever? You know, yeah. Do I believe he's worthy of, of, of forgiveness? And yes. Um, do I think, I think wish that I hope people in his last days will reach out to him and help restore him? Yes. I really do hope for that. You know, when someone's sick and dying, life changes. How you see things changes. How you see people changes. And some people don't have hope and change, but that's the only hope I hold on to for folks like that. So, you know, um, 
I do believe anyone can change. I believe they have to want to change. Um, but I definitely believe being at a point where you're going to be going through hell and knocking on, on heaven's door, basically, <clears throat> could be a moment for a lot of us to to show up and maybe see a change happen through by showing mercy and grace uh, to someone who has not shown very much mercy and grace, at least not to a good portion of living human beings. Right. You know, um, you know, he's going to have to live with the legacy that he's put out there. <clears throat> but, you know, this might be the time to, for, for some of us to reach out and show compassion, you know, and not, you know, I don't think forgiving someone is not saying what you did is okay. You know, it's not saying, you know, grace is not saying what you've done is, you know, now fine. You know, there's always going to be cause and reaction. There's going to be victims, you know. It's just saying, well, I'll embrace you as broken as you are, you know. And I think that really someone has to grasp that idea and accept that for themselves in order to have any real change happen. But how is that going to happen if no one says anything or no one does anything? Um, if we don't share it, then how is he going to hear it? You know. And I, I, I remember what's the the old quote. I can't remember who said this. I used to remember who said it. Uh, what? Who do I love when I love my God? You know. Um, and I've always felt like when the answer to that question is the other. You know, we love others. That's how we love God. So. You know. But like it's like I think do I think Donald Trump is worthy of love and grace and forgiveness? Yes, but do I think he should be the president of the United States? No. You know, maybe let him go back and do you know the Apprentice. I have to admit, confess that I watched that show religiously when it first came out, and I feel a little weird about that. <laughs> but um, yeah, you know. It's it's tough. Those are yeah. I mean, someone like Rush Limbaugh is hard to. I remember listening to him when I was. A, I had a friend who would always take me, a friend of the family who who really cared about me and really helped me when I was just didn't have a lot of friends. And he would drive me around, take me to skateboard shops. And it was an, he was an adult, a friend of my family, and he always had Rush Limbaugh on in his car, you know. And I, I remember him always ta- talking about a. Snapple always advertised on his thing. The greatest stuff on earth, you know? And and uh, I thought he was, I was like, oh, this guy's kind of entertaining. Like, I just didn't, wasn't on my radar of what he was saying until later, but I don't know. That's where grace hits the road, man. That's where the rubber hits the road with someone like Rush Limbaugh, you know? But he's also an entertainer, you know? And how much of that is entertainment and him just trying to be famous and just trying to be recognized by saying really crappy stuff? Yeah, you know, it's like, who is the human? Who is who is the guy out away from the microphone? I think people get get um, seduced by fame and by popularity, and then they go like, "Oh, it works." If I say a lot of dumb, really mean stuff, I get a group of people who really like what I do. And I think he might have been seduced by the dark side. Do you mind to take uh, an audio comment from Sean? <laughs> yeah, we can try. I don't know how that okay, works. Let's see if this will work. Sean, can you uh, do a sound check for me real quick? Check, check. That's pretty good. Yeah. 
We got a call coming hey, in from Canada. Yeah. Hey, caller. Uh, it's good to hear from you. Why don't you tell us what's your favorite country music station? <laughs> That's right. One 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 nine. The jams. Yeah, it's a long-time listener, first-time caller. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. I, uh, yeah. So uh, I wanted, I wanted to just uh, drop a little something about the practicality of of uh, of this this idea of nonviolence and redemption um, in a nonviolent approach. I am sold on the idea that Jesus' way is the way of nonviolence. And I'm sold on the idea that that's what Paul is talking about. And I am sold on the idea that that is what MLK did. And uh, a lot of times I think we look at those things and it seems like too much. And maybe it isn't for everybody. And Jay has mentioned that. Um, and I get that because it is a hard, it's a hard road. Uh, but I got an example a couple of days ago. Um when some comrades of mine got, got beaten by cops, uh, beaten to bleeding, um, had some of their homes destroyed. And uh, they did that nonviolently. They responded nonviolently. They were unarmed and they were, uh, they did not fight back. And, and it, was, it was intentional and it was a, an actual like, strategic thing that they did. And the things that John Lewis did and the things that MLK did, they were strategic also. And the thing we can't deny is that those things are effective. Um, they offer the opportunity to the oppressor to have that oppression exposed and, and, and exposed to somebody who's saying, I'm not going to beat you because you, you are this. I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to look you in the eye while you're doing this, and I'm going to be a human. I'm going to treat you like a human. And these things are effective, um, and we can't we can't deny that. Um, I, I'm just I I've been I've been uh, moved by by these ideas and by this message, and uh, and I think it's beautiful. Now, not all of us have the opportunity to get beaten like that and respond nonviolently in ways that are going to like move culture. But um, I'm not going to stop talking about the oppression that happens in toxic church. And at the exact same time, I'm on the phone with the current pastor of the church I grew up in that hurt me really bad a couple times a month. And that's something I can do. And I think there is something that we can all do. There's something that we can do. And it hurts. It is costly. Uh, but it's real. Uh, that's, that's all. It's just, it's all, it's all really real right now. And I uh, wanted to say, hey, it's, uh, you know, it's a thing. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Thanks, man. Thanks, John. That was cool. Yeah. First call in. Yeah. Are there any other things we want to read or anybody who's got a burning desire to say anything? Oh. <laughs> uh, Ryan reminded me a little bit of Tillich's invitation to accept that you're accepted. Yeah, my favorite sermon. And I think you furthered it by inviting us to invite others into accepting that they're accepted. Uh, and I think you sort of talked about this in the previous com- 
in the previous comment, but uh, isn't there a difference between affirming a person versus giving them a voice? Yeah. No, I definitely think there's a difference between affirming a person and giving them a voice. Um, for me, there's certain times I would not, I would, when I was doing a lot of my work for LGBTQ equality, where I would not go and debate with a certain person on, law, on, on television <clears throat> um, because I felt like that person was so toxic. That it wasn't that I hated the person, <clears throat> but their message was so toxic that I did not want to give them a voice. You know, like I didn't even want to be like, I don't want, I, I mean, like I could probably handle them in a debate on, on television, but at the same time, I feel like I would add, I would be giving them a voice. I would give them their hate voice. So I was like, you know, I'm not going to do that. And that was my way of showing grace, one, by not going and just trying to tear them down, and two, to others, by not giving them a platform, at least on my behalf. So yeah, I think that's definitely true. Are we good? All right. So, All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, and I'm really glad you guys are, like, chatting with each other on Facebook Live. I mean, it's really cool to see the community that's building on here. So thank you. Um, is that it? I'm going to pass the hat. Here you go. Um, <laughs> I'm very bald with the light hitting straight on my head. We'll set the hat down there so I can keep my hat on. Yeah, we're a nonprofit. And if you want to donate to Revolution, you can go to revolutionchurch.com, but we already said that, slash donation. It is, yeah, slash donate. Slash donate. Yes. So revolutionchurch slash donate. Dot com slash donate. Hey, you should, you should plug that most recent Loose in the Bible Belt episode with Steve, man. Oh, yeah. Um, I should have talked about that earlier. I got a chance to interview, um, uh, St- what's Steve's last name? Uh, Peters. Steve Peters who was, um, for the Loose in the Bible Belt podcast, I mean, you might not know I do this, but me and Kristen Becker, who travel around the South doing comedy, religion, and LGBTQ issues, it's very interesting, but we do a podcast now, and I recently got to sit down and interview me and Kristen, sit down and interview Steve, who was the man that my mom interviewed in 1985, who was an openly gay pastor with AIDS. Um, in 1985, this was revolutionary because no one talked about AIDS, or they did, it was... I mean, the president wouldn't even talk about AIDS, and it was seen as this kind of curse on the LGBT, on the gay, on the gay community. And um, my mom interviewed, did this interview, and it was really groundbreaking. And I think it it, it endured the LGBTQ community to my mom, and my mom to them. Not just the fact that he had AIDS, but the fact that he was openly gay and that he was a pastor, an MCC pastor, and it was a very revolutionary moment for Christian television and um, here 35 years later I got to sit down and interview him and talk about what that interview was like and what his life has been like and and just kind of let him know the impact that that not only had on my mother and on Christian television and on the LGBT community but also the impact it had on my life and it's probably one of the reasons I do the work I do today is seeing my mother being willing to so brave and not care what anybody said what she should do or shouldn't do and uh, to take that chance. And uh, I'm grateful. I mean, if that is the one reason that my parents had power and influence to be able to do that type of thing, you know, because they could do what they wanted because they were at the top, and to be able to use that power to expose the world to, you know, gay pastors exist and people with AIDS exist are on human beings and deserve love and grace as much as anybody, to me it was very powerful. And 
you know, as a 10-year-old boy, changed my life. And to be able to, the fact that he lived, he's actually seen in medical journals as an anomaly, uh, as Christians would say, a miracle, uh, that the fact that he's actually still alive is, is pretty insane and amazing. And uh, so, yeah, check that out, as, uh, at least in the Bible Belt. I'll, I'll, I'll put a clip from the interview on the end of this oh, pod- cool. podcast episode, too. So nice. People- so we'll have a clip at the end of the podcast, but some of you already heard it, but I know you want to hear it again. All right. Thanks a lot for listening. Thanks, everybody. Uh, if you want to donate here, there's a hat. If not, no worries. We'd much rather have you than your money. Um, but we could use your money because Caleb works a whole lot and could uh, use that. And um, no one's getting rich here, if that's what you're worried about. So um, we're just trying our best to like do this and, and, and make it the best we can. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Our ministry is supported 100% by listeners like you. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com slash donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website. If you enjoyed this show, you might also like Loosen the Bible Belt with Kristen Becker and myself, Jay Baker. Did you did you find it bizarre that Tammy Faye wanted to interview you? Well, I didn't. You know, to tell you the truth, I knew who your parents were, and I never really watched a lot of of their programming. But Tammy Faye always struck me as being like, you know, a little outside the typical televangelist <laughs> uh, framework. And so when I was offered that opportunity, I thought, you know. I'm going to give it a shot and, uh, you know, I'm going to do my best to present myself as a real live human being, a Christian with faith, uh, a Christian living with AIDS, a Christian who is homosexual. And I don't think that I was prepared for what happened during the course of that interview uh, because your mother started off she she wouldn't even say homosexual you know she started off by saying when did you first notice you were different <laughs> you know and, <laughs> yeah and i introduced the word homosexual and then she used it and then then we switched to gay and uh and then finally she started talking to me about having aids and all of that and i could see her opening her heart was just opening throughout the whole interview and by the end of the interview i mean we were we had a real connection of the heart. I could really feel that. And that really surprised me. I mean, I, did, I didn't expect that that would happen, but it did. That was a post-Christian podcast. <laughs>